So in this first part, we're going to go over how Guillaume overcame his limiting labels and beliefs to pursue his dreams in the U.S. Just emigrating, becoming a citizen, and having very limited English skills and what that meant for him, who was already established as a professional in France. We're going to talk about learning to find joy in selling and overcoming limiting beliefs yet again through human connection, and then creating a cohesive narrative, exploring the difference between story and narrative. And narrative shows up in many places. And then we're going to talk about how part of the narrative helps us in this particular instance dispose of our guilt. And in that part, I talk about my own surprise from what he shared. And it was it was really interesting for me to learn from him. And then at the end of this first part, we're going to start talking about how building a narrative is actually an act of leadership. So that's part one. Um, when you get to the end of that, you know, you'll probably be ready to for part two, and that'll be back next week. Hop down to the show notes. We'll have links to his website. He actually has a free gift that we'll talk more about in episode two, but you can find the links to his website um, and then be sure to share this episode with others. So without further ado, let's get party started. You're listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author Sarah Box, where you get the inside scoop on the steps action takers and decision makers take to align their purpose to their principles and achieve their goals in business and life. We focus on the mantra, no labels, no limits, no excuses. And now, without further ado, please welcome your commanding coach with plenty of chutzpah and heart, Sarah Box. Hey there, this is Sarah, your host of the No Labels, No Limits podcast, where we talk with inspiring guests who have challenged limiting labels and beliefs to pursue and accomplish personal and professional goals. Our goal today is Guillaume Viart. Guillaume is the author of Strategic Narrative, a simple method that business leaders can use to help everyone understand their business, get behind it, and believe in it. Now, I've read this book. It is great, and we'll talk about that later with Guillaume, but it, it's great because it reinforces some of the things I've been seeing, not necessarily having the words for, and so I get to ask Guillaume all about that. Um, his company, MetaHelm, guides CEOs, founders, and leadership teams of professional services firms to gain focus and traction so they build a successful business that they also love. So I think you guys know it's possible to build a successful business and then show up and go, what have I created here? But he's all about making sure that doesn't happen. As a former big firm strategy consultant, Guillaume has founded four ventures. He's sought after by senior executives of companies like Alaska Airlines, the Gates Foundation, Generations for Peace, AIG, L'Oreal, Spencer Stewart, Gap, Google, Microsoft, and the U.S. and French governments. That's a variety of clients with different needs. Guillaume teaches and mentors entrepreneurship at startup incubators, EM Lyon International Business School, and the University of Washington Masters of Science Entrepreneurship, ranked number three in the U.S. He has recently been reading Secret Tradecraft of Elite Advisors by David C. Baker, and when he wants to continue to develop and learn, he turns to his mentors, some of whom include George Cow, Shannon Lee, Rick Torseth, and Philip Morgan. So with that, let me welcome today's guest, 
Guillaume Piart. Welcome, Guillaume. <laughs> Sarah, thank you so much. Who wrote that? Bio? Who wrote that bio, by the way? Hey, some brilliant person, I'm certain. <laughs> but what? But you know what? I do want to ask you about your story. But first, I want you to critique how I pronounced your name and tell us the origins of that name because it's your last name. Guillaume is a nice name too, but I'm speaking specifically of your last name. Look, you 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 did fabulous, uh, and I mean it because uh, yeah, we were we rehearsed a little bit before this. This, this recording, um, most people say wider or something like that, but it's Viatre and that's what you, you say. So thank you for that. The name Viatre is a Polish name. It means the wind in Polish. So if, if there are uh, Polish speakers here on your show, they, they'll, they'll notice that right away. It, it also has a secondary meaning, less common, that I came across a few years ago. It means the messenger. And it means the messenger, there was a, there's a, a Saint Viatre that used to travel in Europe uh, from East to Western Europe and bring messages, tell stories. Uh, and there is, a, uh, there is a town in France, a little village that adopted his name. They, they turn it into the French uh, spelling. They use the French spelling, but it's called Saint Viatre. And um, yeah, that's, that's the backstory here. That's the origin of my last name. Well, I love that story. And I was telling Guillaume listeners that I thought it's so perfect for the work he does in the world, which is about story and bringing story and lifting through story. So I just thought the synergy of his name um, was great. And I also like the kind of the, I just like the name. So I'll move off of the name, but I like it. I like language and learning the, um, the base of words and what they mean, and sometimes even how they've been used. So Guillaume, you know, you have had a different personal journey on your way to the U.S., and you mentioned in the pre-onboarding work that we do that you had to overcome some of your own limiting labels and beliefs. Can you share a little bit about that with us? Yeah, so I, am, I now live permanently in Seattle. I am a U.S. citizen uh, on, in addition to being a French citizen. I came here in 2008. Um, I, I married uh, an American uh, woman uh, that I met when I was a teenager, but we got married um, in our 30s. And I show up here in the Seattle area with um, very limited knowledge of what this area is about. I had lived in the US before on the East Coast in San Francisco a little bit for a few months. And I show up here in 2008, in the summer of 2008, uh, thinking, I want to leave the American dream. I bought a one-way ticket. We relocated ourselves to the United States. Um, so it was, a, it was an immigration process. And um, I th so I'm a consultant by trade. You know, that's what I've always been doing. Uh, and nobody wanted to hire a French consultant who can barely speak English, who, knew, who knows nothing about the, you know, the, the, the area, the, the regional economy. Um, and I had to reinvent myself. And the first job I found was uh, the job of a salesperson in a store, you know, in retail. And I felt that felt so wrong, so misaligned with who I am because all my childhood and my, you know, first 10 years of professional um, life, I was adamant I was the worst salesperson ever. So there was a, an acquired limiting belief from my past and 
also working with people who uh, reinforce that belief very, very much. Uh, they help me with other things, but um, turns out I I became a really, really successful salesperson here in the U.S. So moving from a from one continent to the other was just such a powerful experience because yeah all of a sudden i i discover i can do things that are very useful selling is a very ancestral art technique skill something very human it's at the basis of any human relationship and i learn it you know in a different way here and i realized i can find joy in joy in this and be very successful at it so that was one of the many limiting beliefs i I had to overcome and I did overcome. What do you think it was about your personality that made you so successful selling? Well, okay. Uh, the French accent helps. Good to know. That's what, that's what people tell me. But besides this, uh, and I remember vividly one day I was, I was in this, in a retail store I was working in and I, I was observing my, my colleagues and they were really uh, trying to engage with customers in a way that felt uh, very scripted, very inauthentic. And one of the reasons why I started to uh, work in retail was because uh, I couldn't find the, 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 the type of job that I was previously doing. So I thought, what a great way to learn and be curious and, and meet more people uh, who live in this area and learn about, you know, cultural traits and, um, you know, what are the, I wanted to learn slang also, <laughs> bad words and expressions that people, you know, would, would, would uh, have fun using. So for me, it was more of a learning experience. I had no intent to have a career in retail. I, I, I stayed three and a half years, you know, with that retail chain. Uh, and I was looking around me and seeing all my colleagues being very, very scripted, not very curious. And to, for me, it was my personality was that I want to just chat with people, know who they are, what, what is this, what's happening in their life. Uh, I'm also a consultant by trade. So I, I, I enjoy asking open-ended questions. Uh, so really that curiosity aspect of my personality propelled me to not see customers as walking wallets but as humans first with wants and needs and excite, excitements and troubles and just like everybody else, right? So I would just spend more time naturally finding out who I am working with. And all of a sudden, uh, the, you know, it builds trust, you understand what they want and you feel more, more confident about telling them either, hey, you know, I don't think we have what you're looking for here. Um, go to that other place uh, because genuinely they'll be able to help you or, you know, based on what you told me, I think I have something you should really take a look at. I think you're going to love this. Um, As a consumer, when I come across yeah. someone who can tell me that, especially mm -hmm. in retail, it is mm -hmm. such a relief, right? Hey. There's a few folks in a, in a particular store I'm thinking of, but I go to them because they're, they just say, hey, what you're looking for? You don't want a it's you describe for me what you want. And I tell them they're going, what you're asking of that thing won't be delivered through the thing you think you want. Right. But they know they've asked a lot of questions and I walk out happy, even if I don't buy. And I always go back to them because I trust. Them exactly. And, they ask questions. and the thing that you just mentioned in that was that whole sense of being curious. So, um, 
And it just recently listening to what that does to our brains and our ability to grow and learn is just staying curious and open. Right. Yeah, being being open minded about what may happen, you know, in any of our uh, activities, relationships, uh, what could go great or what could go wrong. What what if I say this this way, or um, you know, what if I try to ask that question differently? What's going to happen? There's so much so much joy out of this exercise, I think, Sarah. And many many folks forget that aspect of their uh, of their job. I think in um, uh, in sales in particular. Now that doesn't mean that all you do is just being curious. You know, you have to also focus on what you're trying to achieve, which is uh, help people, grow a business, uh, sell things. You know, um, focus on wealth also and make people happy. So that's the first. That's the first stage. Yep, I agree. And um, I'm all, before the podcast is over, I'll come back to that because there was something that. It, was about like how to make things like even if they're boring things mm -hmm. that if you're curious you can make anything even if it's boring mm -hmm. not boring like you can make yourself a challenge so mm -hmm. just like you said how could i say that differently what would happen if i did that you know could i cut my time down on this so it's all the curious is a big theme for me um i wanted to ask you you know in your book which i really did enjoy reading and i appreciate you sending that to me ahead of time what do you mean when you say that people will pay for a story, but they will die for a narrative? Can you describe the distinction between the two of those and, and what you mean by that? Yeah, Sarah, this is, uh, that line I think is the core, it's foundational element, the core element of how I approach, I approach writing this book and what I do in my, in my work. I used to think that stories and narratives are the same thing. And then I started picturing a Venn diagram because one evening I was publishing an email on my email list and caught myself using the word story and narrative interchangeably as synonyms. And I, I thought, because I'm curious, <laughs> but wait a minute, let's look, let's look, let's look at this more closely. Like if there are two words, there must be a difference, right? And a simple search on the internet that led me to realize that, yeah, there, there is a difference. A story is, uh, is closed-ended, first of all. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And the typical model that we, 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 but that most of, of us have heard about or very common model is Joseph Scamble, um, you know, story arc, uh, you know, the hero's journey, where the hero starts on a journey, runs into problems, and ends the journey, hopefully successfully. Uh, that's a, that's an arc that is used uh, with most movies, uh, you know, Hollywood movies, maybe less independent French movies, but, uh, but, but it's very common. Nice plug. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but it's very common. Uh, well, now the word narrative is, I mean, a story is also a narrative, but the narrative is also, is, is something different in addition to this. When we say the narrative about society, the narrative about a company, my narrative, we mean something bigger. We mean something that is ongoing, something that is never really done until we die, uh, unless we die. A narrative, is it has a beginning, has a middle, but no end. It's open-ended because I use it and I, I use this word and I, I hear it as more of a modus operandi. It's how you roll. It's very close to culture. Right, it's very close to your 
mode of operation, and it's very, inc you know, unconscious. It's ingrained in the things we don't notice anymore, right? Um, and and some people, uh, very a, lo a very long time ago, picked up on that. Religions, for instance, really picked up on that, right? They, uh, they the religions have stories to illustrate what their religions is about, but they have a whole narrative that they feed, that they fuel, that they remind people of. Um, if you go to a mosque or uh, a synagogue or a church or anywhere, um, you feel a certain way. There are certain uh, uh, traditions, there are certain words, certain colors that fuel what I call a narrative, right? So now apply this to what I work on, which is entrepreneurship and and um, and businesses. And I noticed that we use the word stories a little bit, you know, we we use it, we use that too lightly. We think that just because we tell a cool, funny, interesting, or emotional story, that's it. We just have to say this, and then magically people will be some, you know, amazed or they'll be dazzled, or we can manipulate them with hooks and stuff. But we forget that what's really more powerful is to be in sync with the right narrative. So you will notice that in companies where people are really engaged, that they, you know, people really believe in the purpose that is uh, is in focus, they will go the extra mile. They will. That's what I mean by they will almost die for a narrative. They will put their life on the line. To really go beyond and 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 carry on, and that's way beyond the story. You can buy a book, you can buy a movie. I can, you know, you you can you can send ads to people, emails, and tell them good stories, and people will buy them. Sure, you know, I'll pay ten dollars for this book or this this uh you know this piece, and that's it, right? And you're not the storyteller. You're not the storyteller. A narrative is socially co-created. You get to be part of it. You get to be invited to be part of a narrative, um, political movements know that very well. They have participants. Social, The social justice movement knows that very, very well. And so very practically speaking, uh, where that, that quote, that, that line took me is to think about, about building better narrative for organizations as a system of stories, not just as, a, as one story. And I, I hear this all the time, you know, hey, let's tell our story. Well, which one? <laughs> because you have thousands of stories you could tell. Is it about you? Is it about your team? Is it about the, the people you help? There may, or maybe it's all of them. So I think about a narrative as a systems with three layers. There's, there's, there, there are the stories that formulate our intentions. And then stories that we tell with our behaviors, things we practice, like when I am in a retail store, I may not say a word, but the way I walk around, the way I look at people, the way I help, uh, all my gesture tell a story, right? That fuels the narrative of customer service and of that brand. And the third, third layer of that system is really what I call the norms, the narrative layers that, is, um, that we don't discuss anymore. It's established, it's normalized, it's institutionalized. For instance, when you look at why we recycle things, why do we recycle things? Do you know, Sarah? You know uh, the 
background? I know why I do. You mean like way back when, when that started? I what honestly, you, anymore, I don't know why I just do it. You it, just do it. Right, right. It matters to me. So I do it. Why, why does it matter to you? Because I love the planet and because I hate waste and because I don't want to be, uh, I can do my part, I guess is really, it's like I can contribute. And, okay. um, and even when people tell me, well, in our area, it never hits recycle. It hits the landfill. I'm thinking that's not my job. My job is to show up as who I want to be as a human. I can't control the world. So for me, that's my motivation um, okay. is to reduce things that are harmful to others, the earth, the ocean, other animals, plant life, that type of thing. And so that's great. I, and I'm with you on this. I want to be a, a responsible contributor, right? And so how do we recycle? We just, it's, it's now automatic. We see a blue bin. We, maybe you, chances are we look at what we have in our hand. Maybe it's a coffee cup and we go, okay, is this something I can put in the recycle? And it's automated. So our, all the, and the alongside entire... that, Guillaume, is mm -hmm. when the, uh, you look and you're wanting to get rid of something, I'm thinking, why isn't there an extra bin? This is recyclable. <laughs> yes. Like, what's up here? And, yeah. and I will ask, like, do you have a recycle bin? Oh, no. I'm thinking. And I, I will often say, well, how come? Mm -hmm. They're all over the place. How come you don't have one? So It um, should be normal. It, 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 is, it is institutional, but but the 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 origin the the origin of that of that system is comes from the narrative that uh, a, a shift in narrative from disposing of things makes you feel a bit guilty to disposing of things should be easy, and you you know you you not only you dispose of your of your of the item you want to throw away, but you also dispose of the feeling of guilt that you're polluting something. Wow. And that, and that yeah, narrative yeah, back up. That's powerful. Okay. Say that one more time because yes, just say it one more time, please. When you, when we recycle something, we dispose of the object, but we also dispose of our, of our guilt. Okay. We feel good. We want to be good, good citizens, good contributors. So we don't absolutely true. Right. Do you feel, do you feel good when we you like, recycle? I do. And I feel good when I'm conscious about the things I purchase. Right. Yeah. So that's what we want to achieve. So that's a helpful narrative in that regard. It was, it was well put together to achieve that. Now, the backstory, and if you, if you research where this comes from, this was manufactured, this was put together by a plastic manufacturer who saw their sale kind of, you know, that's their, their growth a little sluggish and thought, why are we not selling more plastic? Why are we selling packaging? You know, oh, it's because people feel guilty. So let's come up with, a, with something. Let's come up with uh, a system that, that everybody will adopt that will make people feel good about uh, throwing stuff away because it gets recycled. I'm not making this up. I researched it. It's well documented. I it's am not doubting you. My mind is going yeah. to, okay, what are all the other things we've unconsciously done? Because it's making us feel better on a subconscious level. The, what, the thing that really got me what you said was it helps us throw away our guilt. So that yeah. makes, I'm not doubting anything you're saying. I'm just thinking, mm -hmm. wow, what other things are working that way in our collective interaction? Everything. 
Right. But then it makes me wonder about everything. You <laughs> so we, 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 uh, we, we, well, we, we went quite deep here. We, you know, I, this is like, I didn't mean this to be a, a, a lecture on. on oh, I on, love it. No, this is good because this is the point. This is okay, the point okay, of cool. understanding beneath yeah. the surface of things. Right. How do we change if we don't get that aha moment? Right. And before you and I went live, I was talking about stories being used in marketing and stuff and how you can see when you pay attention that really they're set up to make us feel we are less than, we're missing out on something. And if we don't act today, we are just going to be left on the sidelines and abandoned, which, you know, in historical, we don't want to be left out of the collective because we will die. So um, yeah, we want to, we want to belong, which was, yeah, so I didn't see this one coming. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like it. I really like being surprised like that. There are many other examples. Um, and, you know, and so, some people tell me, oh, yeah, you're, are you talking about how we get manipulated with things? And I say, yeah, in, in a way, you can use that word if it's if, it, if behind crafting a narrative, you have that intention to manipulate people. But you can also use that mechanism to drive positive change. Uh, and when we look at uh, all the big, pick pick one topic, any topic, you know, any change, major change or small change, even in your life, like my, I will take my example. I come from France. I, I think I, I, I believe I'm the worst salesperson ever. And a few months later, I'm number one in the region in sales. Right. So you, you can always. your narrative. Yeah, I did change my narrative. Uh, how did I how did I do it? I went through the, the three phases that I, uh, I laid out earlier. First, I had an intention. My intention was to be curious, to help, to belong to a community, um, to make new connections, um, to make money because I needed money to feed my family. These were my intentions, but they were just intentions. They were hopes. They were maybe goals, you can call them. The second layer, the second thing I did was I, I practiced it, right? I learned, I learned English. I, and, the, and that company I was working with uh, taught me a whole bunch of great sales, very healthy and human sales ways to, to work. So I practiced that. I was a student. And, and then until that became, I practiced it so much that it became um, effective. And then it became second nature to the point that now when I, you know, when I go into any business, uh, the sales system is one of the first thing I look at and it surprises my clients because they go, Oh, don't you want to check our, our website first and our communication stuff? And I go, yeah, that's only one fraction of the, of a narrative system. I also want to look at how you sell, how you lead, how you organize purposefully as a team, how you communicate within the organization and how you build a vision as a leader. Not a vision just for the business, but a vision for the outside world. Like, what impact are you trying to have? That typically surprises people a lot because they go from the belief that a narrative is just this one or two page great story that you enjoy reading to, oh, now they see, okay, it's a much bigger, much broader, much more powerful way to look at things. Let's dig into that a little bit. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pull another quote from you. Sure. Okay, mm -hmm. just just so you know, it's coming. Um, but you talk about building that narrative not being an act of literature, and you've been kind of talking about that just now, but an act of leadership. Mm. So 
tell a little bit more about that, please. Because the whole leadership piece is, it's really important. I mean, whether we're leading ourselves or leading our businesses or our community. So I see leadership as a practice. I used to see it as a title. Uh, I was very, very influenced by the work of uh, Ron Heifetz uh, in adaptive leadership. Uh, one of my mentors, one of the mentors you, you, you mentioned at the beginning of the, in the intro of the show, Rick Torset educated me quite a bit on this and really opened my eyes. So the first I want to, st I want to start by defining what we talk about here is, is a practice, right? So when I say that building a narrative is a, is a, is a, is a practice of leadership, I say, I, I point to the, 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 the second layer, the second phase of the framework I just described before, which is how do we practice it? You may have intentions to be a better leader, to uh, be curious, to be adaptive, to be, I don't know, name, name a core value that you want to focus on. Um, and then it's how you practice it. So when building a narrative is not just writing stuff, not just having those good intentions or not just the values that you label, that you put on your, uh, on your website. Hey, we are this, we're that, we're collaborative, we're great, this. It's also how do I experience it? And, uh, and so the, the rubber meets the road. The, the key is to connect uh, at all levels of everything you do, between, make the connection between what you say and, and how you walk your talk. That, that's really when you start building a narrative. It's about the details. It's about the words you use. For instance, uh, last night I published an article about the fact that I don't use the word competitor or competition in my uh, daily language. I stay away from it. I try to. It's, it's hard because most people around me use that left and right. And I made this conscious choice because language and words are, are you know, language is performative. You, you shape the reality uh, that you live in, and you sh therefore you shape the narrative by uh, using, you know, specific words. So, so first I have that intention to keep that, that jargon away, that, you know, forget competitive. But then how do I listen to myself, you know, on a daily basis? That's how I practice that very specific goal of mine in my leadership practices. Do, how do I see this and how do I label or, or not label people that, you know, some, some, other, some of, my, of my peers say, oh, you're competitors. And I say, well, you mean my colleagues, my confrères, that's a French, you know, Latin, you know, confratere, meaning, meaning uh, being a brother with or of, because that's what, my, that, that, that's what leadership should be about. It should be about practicing how you rally people to, uh, to go through tough changes, to tough situation and challenges. And so you can only do that. You can only do that um, if you look at yourself first. <laughs> You've been listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author, change agent, and strategic vision coach, Sarah Box. You can grab the show notes and find out how to work with Sarah at sarahbox.com forward slash no labels, no limits podcast. We'd love this podcast to reach as many people as possible. So please remember to rate, leave a five-star review and share the podcast with someone you think would get value from this conversation. Until next time, keep taking those daily action steps to align your purpose to your principles and achieve your goals in business and life.